Yo on the arc shoots a three and scores it. Yoli Childs for three. Shot and goal by Lizzie Brady. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good Wednesday evening, Cougar Nation, and welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the beautiful Brigham Young University campus in Provo, Utah, as we bring you another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, our weekly hour of Cougar conversations with some of the more prominent and interesting BYU sports personalities from then and now. We are glad to have you joining us live on BYU Radio. We are heard nationwide via satellite on Sirius XM 143 and along the Wasatch Front. You can hear us on 107.9 FM and 89.1 FM HD2. If you're listening online, we are on BYURadio.org and streaming on the BYU Radio app on demand. You can catch the show on our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast or go to the show page at BYURadio.org where you can listen to archived editions of this broadcast. On tonight's show, we visit with one of the best players on the best team in women's volleyball from the top-ranked and undefeated BYU Cougars. Outside hitter Ronnie Jones-Perry. She'll be followed by former BYU basketball All-American and NBA. NBA draftee Devin Durant. Of course, Devin, the older brother of my longtime basketball broadcast partner and good friend Mark Durant. First up, we hit the court with a senior standout from the nation's number one college women's volleyball squad, outside hitter and reigning West Coast Conference Player of the Week, Ronnie Jones-Perry. Jones-Perry, part of a BYU team that is off to a 15-0 start to the season, including a 5-0 opening to WCC play this week. They hit the road for a crucial clash at second place San Diego. The Toreros have been somewhat of a thorn in BYU's side over the years, managing to split 16 matches with BYU while holding a 6-3 edge over the Cougs in San Diego. Ronnie Jones-Perry has been named to the WCC All-Freshman Team and All-WCC First Team in her career. Now, as a senior, she was one of five Cougars on the league's preseason All-Conference squad and is poised for multiple postseason honors. From West Jordan, Utah, and Copper Hills High School, Ronnie joins uh, Jones-Perry joining me behind the mic. Ronnie, thanks for coming in and making time for us during an important week. Oh, thanks for having me. So uh, how much of a wild ride is this right now for you guys? You're used to playing high-caliber volleyball, it's true, but undefeated and number one all here at the same time. How's it going? It's been super fun. Um, just the energy that's kind of following our team right now has been really cool. We have a really good, solid fan base that's coming out really consistently, so that's been really fun. And then winning is fun. It's always fun. It's always been fun. So just kind of going through this with my team has been a really cool experience. Okay, getting to 10-0 is one thing. Now you're 15-0. The longer this goes, when does it become a thing? Um, it's actually kind of funny because I didn't know that we were 15-0 until you just said that. <laughs> um, so we don't talk about our record very much. We don't talk about rankings very much at all as a team. It's always just what do we have coming up next. And so for us right now, the thing that we're focused on is San Diego at San Diego. They're a tough team. So it's going to be a good match, and that's our focus right now. The record before that doesn't matter. There have been little milestones along the way, whether it's Stanford coming in or the Utah match or the fact that you had those those top 25 teams, four of them, that you've uh, played and beat already early in the season. So you're kind of ticking them off one by one, and now you are 15-0. Any pressure building at any point, the longer it goes? Um, I think that it would be really easy to let there be pressure if that's something that we started to focus on. But kind of like I said, we really like to take things like one – game at a time, even one practice at a time, one day at a time, and just keep our minds focused that way. Um, and then it's simpler. It's just, what do I need to do for this point to help my team win? So now that you are at this spot we just mentioned, how cool would it be to get to the NCAA tournament not yet having lost a match? I think it'd be cool. Like, I mean, I n- nobody ever wants to lose a game. But um, at the same time, if we were to lose, I don't think that it would be the end of a great season for us. Yes, it would be cool, but I don't like. I don't think it's going to be the end of the world if we end up losing, and I'm just going to do everything that I have in my power to prevent that. But um, it would be pretty cool to get there and not have lost. Yeah, once you get to twenty and zero, twenty five and zero, should that happen, I think it'll start becoming a thing where it's like, okay, we've gotten this far, let's just finish it off right. Let's just finish it off with a perfect season, right? Yeah, and like I keep, I feel like I just keep repeating myself, but we always focus on one game at a time. So if we get to the point where we're twenty five and zero, it's not really our goal to be twenty six and zero. It's our goal to beat whoever that twenty six team is. Okay, I think I've got the message, uh, which means that uh, San Diego Friday is uh, is the next big thing. And actually, when it comes to San Diego, they've played you really well over the years. Yeah, they're a really tough team. It's going to be a good match. I'm really excited for it. 
They are six and three against BYU in San Diego, eight and eight against BYU all time. So they've played BYU as well as anybody, and they were picked second in the league. So no real surprise there. Um, I think that they have a pretty nice balanced offense. They have some returning middles that are good. They've been good in the past years. Um, they're a really scrappy team, so we're gonna have to work to find our own kills. But I think it's going to be a good matchup. We can kind of match those things with our own defense and with our own offense. BYU's on the six consecutive Sweet 16s or beyond, six consecutive season-ending top 15 rankings. So you guys expect excellence. So when we talk about the number one ranking or the streak you've got going, this isn't uh, uncharted territory. You expect this kind of performance, don't you, as a program? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Um, And not necessarily the Sweet 16 or like good records or anything like that. It's more of just we expect ourselves to play well and to do our best and to go go in the gym and see how good we can get. And so I think that that's kind of what keeps us motivated and that's what keeps us playing at a high level more than the expectation to do so. You joined the BYU the year after the Cougars played in the national title game, right? Mm-hmm. So they were coming off that and then yeah, that was your freshman year right after. How eager are you then to, to get beyond the Sweet 16 where you've been every year to another Elite Eight Final Four or national title game should that come? Oh, I'm super. Like, I really, really want that. And uh, I think anybody would. But at the same time, like, we've been there, and especially my group of seniors and the juniors that are here this year, like, we've been there a couple times together. We know how close we've been. We we know how the battle's going to go. And I think that that gives us confidence and um, even more motivation to just kind of break that barrier. When BYU got there in 2014, national title game we're talking about, you were committed mm-hmm. by that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so you already knew that was your team. Yeah. What was it like to watch that run from afar, knowing that that's, that, that's my group? I'll be with them. It was so exciting. I committed, um, I think, right before their season started that fall. And so just kind of watching them go do that that season was really, like, calming to me I'm like okay that's a pretty good decision you know um and then it was just really fun I've never been a big follower of sports regardless of the team or anything like that and so that season was really fun for me to like be super invested in it because it was my team and I was going to play with a lot of those girls how quickly did you feel embraced by that group when you came in the next year um really quickly there are a couple of juniors on that team especially that I got really close with and uh I could just feel that they wanted me to just be me and that they trusted that if I'm going to go give everything that I can on the court, that I'm going to be a good addition to the team. And so they were really, really helpful in me finding kind of my place and getting comfortable here in Provo. You made the WCC All-Freshman team, so you made an immediate impact. But were you the kind of person that jumped in and wanted it all right away? Or could you see yourself in a progression kind of step by step and not having to have it all right away? So I think that at the beginning of it, I like wanted to just have it all right away. And then that was hard because I'm playing with all these girls that have had more experience than me. And they're at that point better volleyball players than I was. And so um, that kind of took me a while to figure out. And it was a good learning process for me. And I think it helped me grow as an athlete and just as a person and having patience in the process. And um, it just really kept me motivated to be a learner and learn how these older girls are doing it and take everything that I can from my coaches and see how good that I can get. And then the playing time and the results and everything like that will take care of itself. Now that you are the older girl and you've been through the process, has that helped you with the kids coming in year to year to where you can kind of say, listen, I've been in your spot? Yeah, I think a little bit. And uh, just like having the experience that I did with the older girls my freshman year has kind of inspired me to really want to try to be that person to the freshmen this year. And so I hope that um, I'm a person that they feel comfortable with coming to and talking to about whatever struggles they're having, or like whether it's volleyball or school or just life in general. And so uh, I think that going through those experiences kind of helps me help them, which mm-hmm. is really important for our team. Can you believe you're already halfway through your senior season? No, it's crazy. <laughs> I have the number of like conference games left written up on my mirror because every time I think about it, it just kind of blows my mind a little bit. And so that's helping keep me motivated too. Does, I it guess. Make, does it make you sad or are you, are you just like, I'm just going to get the most out of this thing here? Um, It definitely makes me sad. I got really, really close with these girls. Um, my freshman year, I wasn't as kind of open to everyone. So like I was close to them and they were supportive of me, but I didn't really make super strong connections. And so I think that my connections has just been growing and growing with people on my team, people that work with the team and things like that. So right now I feel like I'm the closest with kind of the whole that I've ever been. And so that's kind of sad for me that it took me that long to build those connections. And I know that within a couple months, I won't see these people every day anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as volleyball goes, I'm just going to get everything that I can out of it. What kept you from making those connections earlier? Um, I was, especially in group situations where I wasn't super comfortable with everybody, I was really passive and shy. And so I didn't really want to open up to people. And so it was hard for them to know 
what was going on in my head and how they could help me. And so um, once I started opening up more, those connections just started building and it was easier for me to be myself and easier for me to just go play. So what makes this team click, both from an on-court standpoint and then maybe from an off-court chemistry standpoint as well? Um, I think just the connections that we've made off the court, that helps us a lot on the court. And then um, we work really hard on just having clear and direct communication with each other and uh, kind of upkeeping the 24-hour rule where if someone hurt your feelings or something, like you either need to deal with it and say something to them within 24 hours or move on because it's not important enough to you for you to bring it up. And so I think that that kind of keeps us moving forward and being proactive and finding out how we can get better on and off the court. When did that get talked about, the 24-hour rule? It's been a part of the culture since I got here. And it is since I got here, it's been very apparent that that is who we are as a team. Uh, Who are you closest with on this team? Um, That's kind of hard to say. And it also depends on the day and the just kind of what I have going on. I mean, I've had a couple semesters where I have a couple classes with Lindy, and so I'm spending a lot of time with her mm-hmm. in school and studying, and then I'm also spending all this time with her on the court. Um, so I'm really close with her. And then just the girls that have been here since I got here, I mean, I've spent more time with them. But I also, a couple of the freshmen that come in, they played at the same club as me, so I was around them a lot when they were younger. So they're just kind of different connections. But uh, I, I feel really close with pretty much everybody on my team. You're also married, so you have that to, uh, to take care of. How much time do you actually get to spend off the court with your teammates, and how important is it that you do spend that time? I think it's really important to spend that time, and especially during season right now when we're traveling, it's, well, when we're traveling, there's a lot of time you can spend together, but outside of just the team functions, it's kind of hard to find time that we can go like to a movie or something like that, but um, we do a lot of that over the summer, and we do a lot of it during our winter semester, and um, kind of prioritize that, especially when we have more time to do that. You guys hit the road tomorrow, right? Yep. For San Diego. What's a road trip routine that you really enjoy? Something that happens on the road that usually doesn't happen at home that you actually look forward to. So every night before, at the end of the day, regardless if we had practice or a game or anything like that, we all just kind of come together and well, someone will give like some type of motivational thought or spiritual thought or something like that. And we just kind of spend that time together getting to know each other a little bit differently than through volleyball or school. And so I really enjoy that and just getting to know my team at a different level. You're not LDS, right? Yeah. When you're getting together, I'll call it a a devotional, uh, motivational thought, spiritual thought, are the kind of things that are shared there, the kind of things that are inclusive enough to where this is just a human experience, you don't have to necessarily be a member of the church? Um, Yeah. And I also think that um, lots of times it will be a scripture that's shared, but then my teammates usually in that situation apply it to volleyball or to school or to something where it's just kind of like, I think that if we focus on what the scripture is teaching, it'll help us be better people. And um, for me, the first couple years I was here, it was hard for me, like during classes and stuff like that. I was like, well, I don't believe in the same things that you guys believe in. So this doesn't really apply to me and you're kind of wasting my time. <laughs> but I've kind of learned that I can view it that way and get frustrated with it. Or I can view it in a way that even though I don't necessarily have the same faith in the same things that they do, I can still learn from it and make my own decisions about what I believe or what I don't. Are you the only member of the team that's not a member uh, of the church? Yep, this year. In that uh, particular dynamic, do they take note of the fact that you're not a member of the church and we need to be sensitive? Um, I think that my team does a pretty good job with it, but also I think that um, for the most part, they're just speaking what like they feel like they should be talking about. It's kind of been cool for me to experience that and kind of see people's like, I guess, hear their testimonies and understand Mm. why they believe the things that they do. And so then for me, it makes more sense. And then even if it's not super applicable to my own life, it's still cool to kind of see why that was inspirational to them in that moment. From that standpoint, member to non-member through four years, would you say that the experience you've had here at BYU either met expectations, differed from expectations? How would you describe it? In a lot of ways, they met, it met my expectations. There's just a lot of church-related things in classes and on campus and within my team that I kind of expected. But then it also was very different from how I expected it to be and kind of my experience with it and how I viewed it. Um, and so I think that coming here and being around those kind of religious things that I wouldn't be around at most other schools has helped me to grow as a person and think more about what I believe and things like that. And um, it's also helped me to just appreciate people for who they are and what they believe, regardless of how I feel about that. 
Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, Ronnie Jones-Perry's younger days and how they led her to BYU as we continue our conversation. Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back Behind the Mic and my conversation with all-conference outside hitter Ronnie Jones-Perry of the top-ranked BYU women's volleyball team, 15-0, BYU 5-0 in the WCC with a big match at San Diego Friday night. The Toreros 4-1 in league, 8-7 overall. They've had a tough schedule. Speaking of tough schedules, uh, BYU has beaten the number the previous number one team in the country, Stanford, earlier this year. Uh, that had to be a home highlight, and then it was soon followed by BYU setting a single-match attendance record. Against Utah, 5,472 packing the field house somehow for the Utah match. Let's hit those two right now, Stanford and Utah, as two highlights of your season so far. Yeah, they were super, super fun games. Um, I just remember looking around our team room before we went and played Stanford and just kind of feeling overwhelmed by gratitude for my team and feeling just like, we can do this, you know? And so out on the court, it was a battle and it was crazy. And I went back and rewatched it later, and I think that my anxiety watching the game after (laughs) – was higher than it was during the game even though I knew how it was going to end so that was a really cool moment and just like having that feeling of just trust and confidence in my teammates and then coming back home the next week and just seeing all these people coming out to support us it was pretty magical feeling in the Smithfield house. How do you further describe almost 5,500 people packed into that venue uh, for the Utah match? It was unreal it's Kind of, I just remember at one point I sat down on the bench in between sets and just looked up and saw the entire crowd and just like all this energy coming off of them, just supporting us and our team. And it was super overwhelming and just incredible. Pretty surreal almost Yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Uh, and Utah was a program, I don't know, you might have seen yourself playing yeah. for. Yeah, I wanted to go to Utah for a long time. So let's uh, then backtrack to your younger days. Well, first of all, if people assume that you've played volleyball as long as you can remember, that's maybe not the case, right? Yeah, I grew up um, pretty much as soon as I could walk. I think my parents were looking for something to get us into to kind of get our energy out a little bit. Um, They put me and my sisters in gymnastics, and I loved it. My sisters not so much. They ended up not continuing that, but I loved it, and I did it every day. By the time I was 13, I think we were practicing five days a week three to four hours a day. So I was just in the gym all the time. I absolutely loved it. Um, And then my mom got laid off of her job. And so we just financially, we couldn't do it anymore. And so I had to quit and then was introduced to volleyball after that. How immediately did you take to volleyball? And was it something you instantly said, oh yeah, this is it for me? Or were there other things that had your interest at that point? At the time that I quit gymnastics, my sisters were big into softball. My dad was coaching their rec leagues and stuff like that. And so I jumped into that just because it felt natural. And uh, I did that for about a year, I think. I just did one season. And then um, after that, one of my mom's coworkers said, you know, you should you should try out volleyball with her. I've heard that gymnasts make good volleyball players, <laughs> which I think is kind of crazy when you hear that because gymnasts are usually not very tall. <laughs> And volleyball were you players always, are. Were you, were you always a tall kid, or do you have a late spur? <laughs> no, or? I was pretty short until I quit, and then pretty much right after I quit, I just started growing. And then, what are you now? Six foot, five eleven. Okay, close, right there. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I did softball for a little while, and then started volleyball, and it was kind of one of those. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of a shy person. I was a super shy kid, so volleyball was a little interesting, and I wasn't good at it right off the bat. Um, and so that kind of made me be more shy, you know. But as I stuck with it and got a little bit better, I fell in love with it more and more. So it's club until you hit high school, right? And then it's both at that point? Is that the way it goes for you? Yeah, pretty much. So I didn't really play on an organized team until my freshman year of high school. Okay. So that was like my first go at volleyball, I guess, really. And then uh, that year I played club. And because then... some, so some kids will hit high school having already played for quite a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that wasn't you. I think I played one year of rec before that with not really any coaching, just like a parent putting kids on the court, you know. Okay, so when did it click for you, and when did you know this is something you could actually take to the next level, meaning college? Um, I'd say probably my sophomore year. Um, by the end of my freshman year, I was doing really well. I was playing on the varsity team. My high school team wasn't very good at the time. They're doing a lot better now. So. You were Copper Hills? Uh-huh. Okay. Kudos to those girls for picking that program up. But uh, 
Yeah, I think probably towards the end of my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year, that club season kind of in between, I think I started realizing like I could be pretty good at this and I love it and it would be something that I'd want to keep playing past high school. So when did recruiting interest start with you and when did you start to narrow your options and where did BYU fit into all that at the time? So I wasn't seriously recruited until my junior, right before my junior year, I think. My club coach at the time was kind of trying to help me figure out what I wanted and set goals for myself and things like that. I wasn't expecting much. He coach at the time basically told me that I probably wouldn't ever play for a big D1 school. And so I was just kind of looking at smaller schools in state maybe that I could go play for or smaller schools anywhere. And then at that point, it kind of turned into more of a what academics can I get out of this if someone's willing to pay for my school. So, And then I had a good tournament that year, a couple months later, I think. And then I started getting offers from lots of like the in-state schools and then some from out of state. But um, And then at that point, it was just trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to get out of the experience. So you you discovered at a point that the smaller school thing you could go beyond that you were you actually gonna you were gonna have a chance to play it at, at at a bigger school right yeah did that make you feel good relative to what maybe somebody had told you before yeah and I think that um, that coach also helped motivate me like it was kind of one of those I'm gonna prove you wrong which is total cliche but I mean it worked so so you mentioned Utah there was a natural interest there you're not LDS so mm-hmm. how does the BYU thing come about. So I really wanted to go to Utah. They didn't have a scholarship for me at the time, and so that was kind of the big thing. My parents didn't have money to just pay for my college, and I didn't really want to have student loans. So I was trying to go somewhere that I could get my school paid for. If they had at that time, were you going to be a Ute? Was that just it? Yeah, I think so at that time. Hmm. So grateful that didn't end up happening. Um, So then through that, my parents my mom had this random email address that we hadn't really been checking as much through the recruiting process and I had a couple emails from the BYU coaches that I hadn't seen my mom was like you need to reply to these coaches and I was like well mom I don't think I want to go there so what's the point and she kind of talked me into keeping my mind open about it a little bit more and um, the more I talked to the coaches the more I realized all right like this could be a really good option for me and then was this um, Sean or Heather at the time Sean was a head coach at the time but I did a lot of my recruiting like communication with Heather. So it was really bold that gets it at this point. Yeah. And so I uh, came on a couple of visits and really liked the culture of the team. I liked how they interacted with each other. Um, the coaches were very straight up with me and just like, we're going to expect a lot out of you academically in volleyball and just in life. And I liked that. I wanted someone that was going to push me to be the best that I could be. And I knew that I was going to get that here. And what was the vibe you got relative to everything else that goes along with being at BYU? Um, I think at first, like, living in the dorms is kind of weird, and then especially just kind of adding the, like, FHE stuff and things like that, where I'm like, this is a little much. Um, And so at first, it kind of took me a minute to get used to all that, and I mean, I was used to most of the culture already just growing up in Utah, but then it was just kind of like an overload of it. And so, especially during that time, it was good to just kind of lean on my teammates and be like, yeah, the dorms are a little over the top with some of that stuff, but you'll be okay, you know? Um, And then after that, I just kind of figured out what things I should just kind of ignore and move on from and then what things I could learn from through, I guess, the, actual, the extra spiritual religious things. Were your parents surprised that you uh, that you wanted BYU? Oh, yeah. I mean, as surprised as I was, I guess, you know, and so when it first became an option, I think that we were all just kind of like, this is weird. She might actually go to BYU. <laughs> and then it turned into more of like a, they were on board with me that this was probably my best option. And now that you're about to wrap it up, we've got we've got a couple months still, but still, you're near the end here of your BYU. Are you going to look back on this how, your BYU experience? Oh, I'm just really grateful. Um, I'm grateful for the way that everything turned out because I don't think that I would have grown as a person or especially as a volleyball player um, if I had gone to any other school, especially the schools that I was looking at going to. And um, so I'm just grateful for the way that things worked out during that time of my life because I think now... If I could go back and just kind of tell myself, then my recruiting process would have been a lot easier. You know, mm-hmm. just like, go to BYU, dummy. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I think just grateful is kind of the overall feeling. 
Now, you're in the middle of it. Uh, we don't know how this thing's going to end up, but there's a chance it's going to end up with something pretty special, and that's ultimately the hope that this becomes one of those uh, landmark years for you and the program, and there's every chance for that to happen with you guys playing the way you are. Let's mention your husband, who he is, where you met him, and how family life is going that way, and then uh, what may be next for you after BYU. All right. Um, so I met my husband, Todd, through a club teammate. She went to West Jordan High School, which was just right up the road from where I went to school. And uh, we kind of started talking over a summer. And then at one point I was like, you're kind of a jerk. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And then uh, great, like thankfully, randomly, we ran into each other and ended up talking again after that. But uh, I had absolutely no intentions of a serious relationship with him. It was just kind of more of like a fun summer fling type thing. And then the more time we spent with each other, just the more I loved him and not necessarily loved him as like a, I want to marry you love at that point, but just like a, you're my best friend and I enjoy spending time with you. And yeah. And so that's kind of how that went. And then just all throughout high school, my junior and senior year, he was super supportive of volleyball. He played football and he wrestled. So I went to that when I could hated watching wrestling. (laughs) So I didn't do too much of that, but, uh, so yeah, that was kind of our high school experience. And then once I got to BYU, it got a little bit tougher um, because he's still living in Salt Lake at the time. Did he go to college too? So he's an electrician. So he's um, currently going to school at the MATC just down the road from UVU to get his journeyman's license. So he works full time and then goes to school at night. So he's working and going to school while you're playing. And then uh, you're going to graduate, of course, at the end of this year. And then what's next? So right now our hope is for me to go play overseas somewhere. He's going to kind of put his career on hold and come with me. Or, That'll be a fun adventure, right? Yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully he'll be able to find some electrical work he can do overseas. Do you already have some uh, some ins or some future connections you can make once you finish college? Um, I know that my coaches know a couple different agents that I could talk to. And yeah. then there's also um, Alexa Gray, who I played with my freshman year. She's over there doing it right Canadian. now. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> you know her. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good contact for me to to talk to you and figure out how to so, work this thing. Okay, it'll come at some point. But let's let's yeah. Yeah, first things first, and that's getting through this season and going as far as you can possibly go. And the sky's the limit for this team. And, and the way you guys are playing, why not a national championship, right? Yeah, I mean, I want to win as many games as we can. And if that means that we can keep winning and then make it to a national championship, let's do it. Well, you're having a great year, as is your entire team. It's been fun to watch you do what you're doing. Uh, you've energized the campus, and it's been a supported team for a long, long time. But it's a fever pitch right now for you guys. Best of luck at San Diego. And as the WC season continues, Ronnie, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. All right, that is Ronnie Jones-Perry of the BYU women's volleyball team. Number one ranked women's volleyball team, 15-0, and looking for more this Friday at San Diego. Coming up next, it's our Catching Up with the Cougars segment. As I'll visit with former BYU All-American hoopster and NBA draft pick Devin Durant. Stay with us as Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel continues on BYU Radio. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is time now for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Well, in BYU basketball history, only Jimmer Fredette has ever scored more total points, recorded a higher scoring average, or made more shots in a single season than my next guest. Devin Durant remains to this day in the BYU career top five in scoring, scoring average, field goals made, free throws made, and consecutive games started. That's for a career indeed. Devin started all 117 games that BYU played during his four-season tenure. Only Jimmer has recorded more 30-point games in a BYU career, but not even Jimmer had more consecutive 30-point outings in a season than Devin, who remains number one all-time in that category. He left BYU having been named Conference Player of the Year and All-American. He was the 25th overall pick in the 1984 NBA draft and played both in the NBA and overseas before embarking on a successful business career that unfolded alongside church service that has seen Devin serve in a variety of capacities, including mission president and callings as a counselor in the General Sunday School presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Devin is a member of both the BYU Athletic and Utah Sports Halls of Fame. His family is near and dear to me for reasons we may discuss. And it is my pleasure to welcome brother Devin Durant inside Studio 2, where he joins me now behind the mic. (laughs) 
Wow, Greg, I don't know that I've ever received such a nice introduction. You're taking me back a few years, so very kind. Thank you. Good to be here and talk with you tonight. Well, all my words are merited, and uh, you have a strong connection to Utah County, of course, but you were born in Brigham City because that's where uh, your dad was teaching seminary. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes, I was born in the Cooley Memorial Hospital in Brigham City, and I think we lived there till age four or five and then moved to Provo. And uh, your dad's uh, lifelong professional calling uh, was involved in church education, and his church service included mission and MTC presidency opportunities. It was in the MTC in the fall of 1986 that I first met your father. At that time, I was unfamiliar with the Durant family name, having just come down from Canada a couple of years before. But it was, it was well known in Provo at that time because of your basketball achievements. Uh, when, did, when did basketball become a central part of your early life? <clears throat> well, as early as I can remember, because I was blessed with an older brother. And we went from season to season, played the sport that was in season. And fortunately, due to a big brother and his friends, I got included in a lot of different activities. But it's interesting that you bring up Kentucky. My dad's uh, dad and mom served as a mission president couple there in, in Louisville, Kentucky. <clears throat> And that's really where I got serious about basketball and was blessed with a a great coach back there who inspired me and really uh, instilled in me a love for the game of basketball. It's as basketball-mad a state as they talk about, right? Like it's it's, (laughs) it's quasi-religious there, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, between Kentucky and Indiana, uh, that's the heart of basketball and and it was just a wonderful environment for a young boy to grow up in that, that, that loved the game of basketball. What did you enjoy most about the sport? And uh, when did you sense that your skills were merging in a way that, uh, that you could take this um, you know, beyond even high school, which, which was a, a successful time for you at Provo? Well, for me, I, I've, again, maybe going back to my older brother, Matt, uh, it seems like from the beginning we were always competing. And I love to compete. And my older brother, Matt, taught me uh, a lot about losing (laughs) because his skills were a little bit more advanced than mine. He's about four years older than I am. And so I remember when we lived in Kentucky getting pummeled by my older brother, Matt, on occasion after occasion because he wanted to be a basketball player as well. But all he had to play against was, was his little brother. So while he he basically sacrificed his uh, basketball career to help his little brother (laughs) out. uh, But but I just, uh, ever since uh, I can remember, I loved to compete. I never liked losing, but I always felt like maybe I could lose something. I could learn something in losing, but I loved to win. And and so that was always a driving force in in developing uh, uh, the skill of basketball and like I said earlier, I've been blessed with just great coaches ever since the beginning. And, and I had a coach by the name of Rick Bolas when I was in eighth grade who had a tremendous impact on me as a basketball player and taught me <clears throat> really that to, to, to develop the skills that I wanted to develop, it was just simply going to take a lot of hard work. And he got me on that track. You've mentioned Matt a couple times. Whatever became of Matt, by the way? <laughs> Well, I'm going to I'm going to answer that question a little differently, but he he was an excellent high school player. You know, Matt he was cut during his senior year in high school, and the other players on the team rallied and they went to the coach and said, you know, if Matt doesn't is not on the team, we're not on the team. And the coach uh, relented, and, and and Matt became a part of the team, and the team did well, and he was the sixth man. And but it was just a, a wonderful tribute to my older brother that his teammates would would step up for him. And he went on to play junior varsity basketball at, at, here at BYU. And <clears throat> But he focused a little bit more than I did on his studies. And uh, he ended up at BYU Law School. And he was number one in his class as an undergraduate and then did well in, in at law school, went back to uh, Harvard. He didn't go to BYU Law School. I have to correct myself. He was an undergraduate here at BYU, went to Harvard Law School, and now is serving as the 
chief justice here on the Utah Supreme Court. I love to tell to anyone that will listen to, yeah. to me tell that about my brother. I'm very proud of him. So he's doing okay. <laughs> he's <Yeah>. doing okay. <laughs> now, BYU Law School did uh, did allow uh, Mark to enter, and we'll, 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 get, to, we'll get to Mark in a bit. Um, I, I, I mentioned your dad, and uh, and I love your father, George, and I've been able to maintain a friendship with, friendship with him over the years since that first day when in 1986 he asked this uh, nervous – First day missionary to say the opening prayer in the uh, in the uh, um, orientation session at the MTC, and from that day on, I knew he was somebody special. And of course, I've been able to maintain that relationship over the years with so many Durants, as it turns out. But where did George kind of fit into um, your basketball life? With, with dad, dad, I think the one of the things he did inadvertently to help me as a basketball player was he he built us basketball courts. They were homemade basketball courts. And by that, I mean we laid our own concrete. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I remember uh, forming up a basketball court in Provo and uh, had the concrete poured. But we didn't have enough hands to, to smooth the concrete, not enough labor. So the court didn't end up very smooth. And it really helped my ball handling. You never knew where the ball was going to end up once you dribbled it. We pretty much duplicated that model in in Salt Lake. That was where I lived during elementary school. Uh, And, again, we put in our our court, and we custom, and we had those bumps and ridges in the court. But in the end, uh, I think I turned out as a decent ball handler, and I have to thank maybe Dad for that, for for saving a few dollars. On the concrete uh, installation of those courts, inadvertently broadening your skill set. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, uh-huh. uh, you were a tremendous high school player and received a national commendation, McDonald's and Adidas High School All America honors. And you began your BYU career on a team in which Danny Ainge had just led the team in scoring at more than twenty points a game as a freshman. You got Danny as a sophomore when you began. Your, you were a freshman. Danny was a soph. Isn't that right? So yes, here, here's yes. Danny. He's just burst onto the scene. Um, how, how long did it take until you realized you had a teammate with uh, something special? Well, to say Danny is something special is really an understatement. He, he was such a great athlete and a great man. And when I, my first introduction to Danny really was when he was a freshman. I went and, and I was being recruited as a high school senior. And so I was invited to attend the varsity preview. And I watched Danny as a freshman really take on all the older guys. And I think he scored 39 points in that varsity preview, if I remember. And I was just so impressed with uh, his skill set. And I thought, wow, what, what, a, what a treat it would be to play uh, on the same team with Danny Ainge. And he was also a great recruiter. He... Uh, during my senior year, I remember one time we played uh, against Tempview, Provo High against Tempview High School, and and there was Danny Ainge on the sideline. I thought, wow, I'm playing in front of Danny Ainge, and, and he, he was he was very enthusiastic and cheering, and and uh, again just endeared me to to Danny uh, as he was there su- supporting maybe a future Cougar. Mm-hmm. There and I can still remember that image of of Danny there cheering and encouraging me. You played two seasons alongside Danny, freshman and sophomore, and your second year, uh, Danny's third. You were the second leading scorer on the team to Danny, and you decided at that point to leave on a church mission. So you played two seasons before leaving. Um, Age wise, were guys leaving after one, or do, or was it clocking right that two was the right time for you? Well, generally speaking, the model was to leave after one year, but it just worked out best for me and the and the team to stay for two years. Did it and make it harder at all having gotten two full like another taste of of of, of college basketball life? N- not really, because the, my decision to leave after my sophomore year was made after my freshman year. Okay, so all parties knew what, what was happening and. In the end, it turned out just just right, and it's it's tough being a college athlete 
because there's so many demands on you and, and it wears on you. So in my case, it was it was wearing on me. And hmm. to think I, I left for a couple of years. And so when I came back, it was so refreshing. It was all brand new again. But before we leave that, can I tell a Danny Ainge story? Please. You know, the I remember as a freshman and, and we, we were playing San Diego State and and I had fouled out. So I la- watched the last few minutes from the bench and – I think we were down, if I remember right, by about seven points with two minutes left to go. And San Diego State had Tony Gwynn. He was their point guard. Just a tremendous athlete, as we all know. But I watched those last two minutes as Danny Ainge single-handedly turned that game around and, and, and won it for us. And uh, s- Such a fun teammate off the court, and it was always a thrill just to watch what he could accomplish on the court. Tony uh, had greater renown as a baseball player, but was an excellent basketball player. Uh, Danny had more renown as a basketball player, but was an excellent baseball player. <laughs> That's right. What a tremendous athlete. But that game was when we won the WAC championship my freshman year, and Danny Ainge did it uh, single-handedly. You decided to serve after those two years, and that was set. And uh, yet in those first two years somewhere, you ended up meeting your future wife, right? Julie and you would have met before your mission. True. Yes, Julie and I met on April 1st, and the year would have been 1980. And I ended up leaving on my mission about three weeks later. Hmm. But uh, we spent a lot of time together in those three weeks, became very close friends, and and then, then developed our relationship through letters. As we served, I headed to Madrid, Spain, and she ended up serving in the Peru Atacipa mission, and so you served concurrently then, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She left a few months after uh, I left and was home a couple of months before. And, and I, you know, I like to say that, that I fell in love with my wife through her letters. She was just a magnificent letter writer and it was wonderful to get to know her uh, through that letter writing process. Once you returned from Spain, uh, where was basketball in terms of importance in your life relative to where it occupied a uh, place before your service? Oh, basketball was very important to me before I left, and it was very important to me when I returned. But you know, certainly my my testimony of of Jesus Christ and the, His Church uh, was was the priority. I love the Scripture that talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so I thought, if I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to put the Lord first, and I'll take my chances when I come home. I hope there's still opportunity to play basketball, but if it's time to move on to other things, I'll do that as well. You were averaging about 13 points a game uh, pre-mission. Then when you came back, you were scoring 23 a game as a junior, 28 a game as a senior. And I want to bring up uh, a period of time between your junior and senior seasons. At that time, I was living in Calgary, Alberta, and I remember quite well how big a deal the World University <laughs> Games coming to Alberta was. Sure. Uh, and they were staged in Edmonton that summer. And I didn't know much about the USA basketball team and what they were trying to do up in Edmonton. I just knew this was a big deal uh, a few a few hundred miles north that, that the world's best athletes were coming to Alberta. And you were on Team USA's basketball entry in those games in Edmonton. And among your teammates were Carl Malone and Charles Barkley. And you had six or seven or eight guys who all averaged double figures in that in that tournament. Now you did not win gold. Somehow Canada did. <laughs> but you, you had to bring that up, huh, Greg? <laughs> they uh, they they upset the USA, which they went on to win bronze. You did you did medal in that tournament. But uh, uh, people who know you as, uh, as as just to be what you were you were a teammate with Sir Charles and Carl and others. Ed Pinkney, I think, was there were some great players on that team. What an experience for you to be involved in uh, at an international level. It was. It was. It was fun from beginning to end. Well, I can't yeah. say at the end. Those Canadians <laughs> put together an excellent team, and Home they cooking. got us. Yeah. But uh, but it, it was great. And my roommate was Kevin Willis, so it was fun to follow yeah. his career. He just had a magnificent NBA career, and to to play with Charles and 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 Carl, and just a lot of good memories from from that time. <clears throat> that preceded your senior year uh, when you were named an All-American by multiple voting organizations. You ended up in seventh in balloting for the Wooden Award. And then you were drafted along with 
Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan and Akeem Olajuwon and John Stockton in that famous 1984 draft. Uh, 25th overall, which put you then uh, first pick of the second round by the Indiana Pacers. Uh, your pro career involved some NBA time and some overseas time. Uh, what are your prominent or most primary recollections of those years, those seasons? Wow. It, it, you know, as a, as a rookie in the NBA, everything's all brand new. And so it was just a thrill to go around the, the league, travel from city to city, and and play against these players that uh, you've been watching from a distance and on TV. One memory I have, <clears throat> you know, speaking of Charles Barkley, he was the uh, he was drafted by the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. So, you know, going back to Kentucky as 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 a young boy, uh, my friend and I we would never miss an opportunity to see Julius Serving play. He was playing for the. New York Nets, I think, if I get it right, with against the Kentucky Colonels, Colonels of the ABA. There, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So we would go watch Dr. J play, and then we'd come home to our homemade basketball court and be Dr. J. Exactly. <laughs> so I just admired him for years, and then during my rookie year, I found myself in the spectrum, playing against not only Charles Barkley, but but. Uh, the magnificent Julius Irving. Could you have taken a moment to tell him what that meant to you? <laughs> Did you do that? Or, I mean, well, let, me it, tell you, it, let me tell you what actually happened, <laughs> Greg. So I, I had the opportunity to guard Dr. J. And <clears throat> obviously I was overmatched. And so I started, I held his arm, I grabbed his jersey, I pushed him, I shoved him, I did everything I could to slow him down. And finally, during one of the breaks, he went up to the – I was standing right next to him and he said to the official, he basically said, hey, you got to get this guy off me. And he pointed at me. And I came that close, Greg, to just saying, uh, Mr. Irving, I apologize. I won't hold you anymore. You're my hero. Whatever you want out here, you've got. <laughs> but I refrained. Somehow you restrained yourself and didn't. And I didn't. restrained myself. Yes, <laughs> would have been would have been a moment. Would have been a great moment for him and for <laughs> you. Um, what, what what told you it was time to bring your professional basketball playing days to an end? You were probably you were overseas at the time, right? Yes, uh, I had tried out. I spent a little time in the CBA. I went in to to camp with the Phoenix Suns and was cut. Uh, a few games into the season with the Suns and then ended up in Europe. And I'm trying to put all the pieces together because this was another lifetime, uh, Greg. <laughs> so, but it, anyway, I ended up in France and we weren't winning. And if you don't win in Europe, either the coach goes or one of the Americans goes at that time. And uh, they had just fired the coach. So, it was, so I, I, I was released from a team in France. And uh, we had three little children at the time, and I came home and told my wife, honey, I was just uh, released from the team. And she was quite enthusiastic about that. <laughs> Oddly. She was, she, she was ready to move on, and it was really hard on her to take babies across the, the pond. And so we, we, we found another professional opportunity and, and decided we had had a wonderful time with basketball, but it was time to move on. And you were at peace with that? Uh, not initially. You know, it's it's hard to give up something you've done all your life, and you, you you still think you can, you still think you can compete at a high level. But looking back, the timing was just right, and opportunities presented themselves, and no regrets looking back. Okay, after this break, just a couple of minutes after this break, we'll have left with uh, with Devin, the post-basketball and then church service life briefly of Devin Durand as our conversation continues on this week of General Conference. This Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Our conversation with Devin Durant concludes right after this. Come back with us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, 107.9 FM, and the BYU Radio app. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Greg Rubel. 
All right, the visiting tonight with uh, Brother Devin Durant, first counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and former BYU All-American hoopster. Uh, following his professional basketball playing days, a successful business career, and then a lot of church service since and during, of course, those days, but uh, uh, most recently serving um, as a general auxiliary officer in the, in, in the Sunday School. And uh, with this being conference week, is it a busier week than normal for you? Do you have an assignment this weekend, a speaking assignment, or was that... Uh you're, so, you're good for a while. So, Greg, before we go there, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. How long have you been the, the voice of the Cougars now? Oh, wow. Uh, officially, I've been on the football broadcast crew for 27 years, but it's my 18th as play-by-play. I've been doing basketball play-by-play for 23 seasons, 22 of which have been alongside your younger, dear, beloved brother, Mark. <laughs> wow. And so we've been doing this a while, and which probably gives us a good moment to just quickly um, – Tell our audience how much we both love Mark. I've been with him for, again, more than two decades, and uh, I don't have a ton of close friends, but he is at the top of the list, and uh, he's so special to both of us, clearly. Wow. I just uh, – first, I want to say congratulations on, on a marvelous career. Uh, I enjoy listening to you. You're so skilled at your craft. So I just wanted to take opportunity to say that. and. And uh, I, I know how much Mark enjoys working with you, <laughs> and I love Mark. Mark is is just such a good man in so many different ways, uh, uh, so bright, and I, I enjoy hearing his commentary. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Uh, what, what a treat to be able to spend some time with you. But again, thank you for looking out for my for my little brother uh, for all these years as well. You are so kind. Um, so so we're not going to hear you this weekend. From the know, pulpit? Uh, no, okay. no. Fortunately for everyone out there, uh, I'll be sitting sitting there and enjoying every second of it. Well, I've enjoyed what you've been able to share in that forum, and I know our listeners have as well. And um, just bless you for your service and um, for coming in and spending a few moments with our audience tonight. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Greg. All the best to you. Thank you so much. That's uh, Devin Durant, brother Devin Durant, and uh, former BYU All-American, and again, so much more we could have covered, and I wish I had left my time uh, myself time to do so. But we'll come back and uh, say goodnight. This has been Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. We will say so long after this one-minute break on BYU Radio. My interview with Devin Durant was tonight's Catching Up with the Cougar segment brought to you by BYU alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU alumni chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Thanks to Devin and volleyball's Ronnie Jones-Perry. Next week, I have BYU Senior Associate AD Liz Darger and former BYU All-American Michael Smith with me. Thanks to coordinating producer Terry South, production assistance from Cole Wissinger. Thanks as well to BYU Radio General Manager Don Shaline and intern Lindsay Peterson. I'm Greg Grubel. Thanks for joining me behind the mic. We'll talk to you next Wednesday, 8 Eastern, 6 Mountain, right here on BYU Radio. Good night. You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at BYUradio.org. 